one constant in college rugby is change. And there has been monumental changes in the last 15 years. Welcome, everyone, to the first ever FCC podcast. I'm your host and current commissioner, Kirk Swanner. Also on the podcast, we have the Florida Rugby Union incredible general manager, Mr. Evan Haig, the opponent coach you love to hate. So, um, yeah, guys, we're trying something new here. Uh, going to deliver the content just in a bit of a different way. We want to get this information out ahead of time. So that way, when we do have meetings, they can be more focused on feedback and answering questions, generally just being shorter. So all of our previous meetings that we've recorded in the past, they're all over on our Florida Rugby YouTube channel. We are currently killing it with zero subscribers, um, which I don't expect you guys to subscribe. But if you do want to go find past information, go check it out there. We, you can go back and find our 2020 Summit Series videos. Also, Evan's uploaded the Sports Lomo video, how to navigate through Sports Lomo, and also the return to play protocols, which hopefully all that stuff should be behind us now. But lots of uh, information over there. If you go to YouTube, just search for Florida Rugby. It is a channel, um, and there's about nine videos on there currently. So back in one of those videos, you can see where we discussed the current system that we're going to, the current schedule format we're going to use with the seven-game regular season plus the quarters. We are maintaining this exact same model for this coming year in spring 2022. Uh, you can go back and find the video where we talked about that and where we agreed about that. So, uh, all right, guys, let's get into the information here. So... What we're going to be talking about today is, again, just reinforce why we're doing what we're doing with the FCC. So the one constant in college rugby is change. And there has been monumental changes in the last 15 years. I'm not going to go back and rehash any of that type of stuff. But usually what's happened in the past is that people have focused on championships and so championships drive affiliation, and then affiliation drives macro schedule. So basically what we're trying to do here is we're basically going to try to flip that on its head. So when I talk about macro schedule, what I'm talking about is how we align our yearly schedule, basically you know, from September through August, where we place the, the schedule blocks in that macro schedule, where the sevens fits in, where the 15th preseason is, where the competitive 15th season is, if there's a postseason, where we put our representative team, how we align those blocks in a yearly schedule is what I'm referring to as a macro schedule. When I talk about the schedule, I'm particularly talking about the spring competitive 15 schedule. So in Florida, we play spring 15s. Um, that's the best thing that works for us. And that's why we focus on that. Why is the macro schedule so important? Well, what I will say is that America is too big for a one size fits all macro schedule. The issues we deal with in Florida are different than the issues that they deal with in the Northeast and the Midwest. Basically in the Northeast and Midwest, they can't play in January. The ground's frozen, there's snow, just impossible. So they have to play in the fall. But here in September and October, we're dealing with hurricanes. You know, So it's really, it'd be, imagine trying to build a competitive season where you have to play a game in September and there's a hurricane coming. It's gonna be impossible for us you know, right now. So, um, so basically what the FCC does is it focuses on the macro schedule because the macro schedule 
if you have a wrong, if you have the wrong macro schedule, it can really hinder club development. So the opposite of that is that if we have the right macro schedule, club, club development should occur. So I'm going to give you an example, right? Before we had the FCC, most of the Florida clubs were in the CERC, South Independent Rugby Conference. Evan, do you remember the last year the CERC, the Florida teams were in the CERC? The macro schedule was half the competitive games were in the fall and half in the spring. How did that work out for your club and like club development and keeping guys engaged? It was a challenge, um, particularly in around the recruitment and development in the fall. Um, we felt like we were a different team from the fall to the spring and just getting players out and getting returning players to be out and fully committed for both the fall and the spring was a real challenge. Uh, and that was definitely difficult for us along with the amount of lost hours that we had in practice because of the thunderstorms. We just, you probably practice once a week from August through to late September and October. Right. So the best thing about Florida in January is that it's our dry season, right? Like how many times do you lose training sessions in January? I guess we, there's still some, but. We don't generally don't lose any. It's for the most part, it's not, it's, it's not the rain that costs us. It's the lightning. So the guard goes off and they push you off the field for 30 minutes and then you come back and hopefully you can get a rest for practicing or usually it's canceled by that point and we all have to deal with it and it's safety and there's just not much we can do to work around it. So again, the FCC is great because it allows us to focus on our macro schedule. So like in the past championships drive affiliation, affiliation drives a macro schedule. We've got that on its head. Now we focus on our macro schedule, which means we then go out and find an affiliation that works for our macro schedule. The problem we have right now is that there is no good clear-cut affiliation that accomplishes everything we want to accomplish that accommodates our macro schedule. So again, the one constant in college rugby is change. So it, right now we are independent, which is fantastic for us. It's the best decision that we could have done because what it allows us to do is it allows us to shop everything. And then if we wait, things will present themselves that will work into our favor. Evan and I are both working on sevens pathway on bowl games where our rep team we're working on all these other connections and creating the affiliations that'll work for us or creating the pathways that we need. But then also if we just wait, I bet things will work out in our favor. So um, the issue with being independent it, that is that there is no clear pathway to a national championship. Now, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask a different question instead of like, how can we have it? How can we have a pathway for a national championship? And I'm going to rephrase this question in why do we need a national championship? Who needs a national championship? I personally believe that selling the national championships to your players is a marketing crutch. It is a recruiting crutch. I bet you. 90% or 95% of all the players that come out for the very first time in rugby didn't even know a national championship was possible, right? I know that when I came out to rugby, I just had time to kill and this looked like a fun experience. So I've also personally 
changed the club mindset when I was coaching, where we stopped focusing on national championships and focused more locally, and it had a really positive impact. So again, national championships, I think, are a crutch. So what can we do in the meantime, though, because we do need to provide meaningful experiences to the players. So what do we do in the meantime to provide meaningful experiences to our players? The number one thing we got to do is focus on the state championship, right? So it has been incredible to see USF rise to where they're at. You know, it was incredible to see the score lines they were putting up. Uh, it was a bit unfortunate to see them not play in the past spring during COVID, but I understand why they didn't and I support their decision. Um, it is great also to see Steve and FAU come along as far as they have in the short amount of time. They are right on the heels, you know, so now we've got no clear cut favorite. I don't think to win the state championship in, I can see a number of programs winning that championship and I can see all the games coming down to the very end. Those quarterfinal matches are going to be hell of matchups. They're going to be incredible to watch. And it's great because, you know, when your opponent develops, it is not a zero sum game. Cook, you want to just tell me a little bit more about zero sum? I think I have a pretty good idea, but I'd really love to hear your explanation of what you, what you think that is. Sure thing. Yeah. So my experiences in the past is that when somebody gets better, other people kind of get upset because they feel because they have this mentality that it's a zero sum game. So let me just give you the definition of what a zero sum game is. Zero sum is a situation in game theory in which one person's gain is equivalent to another person's loss. So the net change in wealth or benefit is zero. So basically, Evan, when FAU gets better, that just means you have a tougher matchup and you don't have to travel as far, right? Like what we want, again, are meaningful experiences. And the best way to have meaningful experiences is to have really tough, close games, like close in the, in the score line. So if you have, if you're going into a game and you don't know who's going to win, then that makes it so much more fun for the players because any, all of their effort has a much bigger impact on the outcome, right? Like there's no fun going into a game knowing that you're going to win. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And I, and I think there's a component there with the coaches too, is that, you know, when you know you're going to an easy game, you don't prepare as well and you don't um, you don't heighten your focus on what needs to happen and that directly reflects to the group. As much as we say every game counts, when there's more and more competitive games, which we've seen, the, the, the prep that you have to put into and the work is just it's thoroughly enjoying to do that. So then you can really, really have to prepare and focus on how you're going to do that. And I, and I think we've really seen that. You know, I think there's some really good up and coming programs that um, from a coaching standpoint that we all know we now have to challenge. Uh, we have to think about and, and the players get up for it. We get up for it as coaches. And it's, it's, it's really, really fun to be a part of. So, you know, when your opponent gets better, it's fantastic because it's not a zero sum game. All it means is that you get another incredible matchup at a close distance that you don't have to pay a lot of money to get to. So that's exactly what we want to see. Um, so now the question is, is how do we get the players to buy into it? You know, like, how do we get the players to understand, like, instead, if we've been, if in the past, our messaging has just been 
national championship, national championship. Now we're changing our messaging to state championship, state championship. How do we get the players to buy into it? You know, so I think the first step is the easiest. And that is we all have high turnover rates, right? So if we just stop talking about nationals and start talking about the state, because literally it's first things first, you've got to win the state first before anything else can happen. If you start talking about the state, the new players will understand it, right? And then the older players, you just got to make sure that your actions are aligned with your words and you can change players' perspective. I know this because I, I did it myself when I was coaching at Florida State. And, you know, we got we took a lot of pride in winning the Cirque. It was really tough um, when we lost to UCF the first year they won their national championship because, yeah, we, we really wanted to go after them. And, you know, earlier in that year when we played them, it was a – nine six ball game seven six ball game it was pretty it was pretty tight but again like you have to as coaches and as administrators we have to first internalize the state championship is the most important and cook I, I would like to add in there a little bit too is that i think what you've really tried to drive home too is the value of the state championship the it's actually more of an event and so the even the u23 one this year was it was something that the players can remember. And I think that's really important. I think my experience with Cirque in the past, whilst it was fun to win, it was always just a stepping stone to where something else we wanted to go. And I think States these days has its own identity. And I think that's a really nice thing you've added in there. So you're talking about value of the championship. Mm -hmm. For exactly. Sure. Yeah. We want to increase the value of the state championship and the fastest way to get there is if all the coaches buy in, all the clubs buy in and get it. They understand that. Now we'll all put more emphasis on it. It'll be more valuable to win. So, you know, counter back to that as well is, you know, well, is this the only thing they're going to win? You know, is this the only highest level that we get to play out? Like, is that, is that what we're aiming for here? Absolutely not. So good question, Evan. Uh, no, I, I don't think that's the absolute highest, you know, so, we are working on a bowl game, so a postseason. I personally, I don't want the state championship to be the only thing we compete for. I do believe that at our level, regional championships is the better option. I don't, again, I don't think we need to be playing in national championships, but regional championships, I do wish took place. And then the other mechanism that we need to be, you know, we, we as the FCC will be providing and need to do it on a semi-regular basis is the representative team. Because that provides the players, the best players in Florida, another opportunity to go and showcase themselves. So I do believe that between the state championship, a bowl game, the rep team, there's just one more piece missing. And that's on the individual clubs to go and test themselves themselves, go on a tour, right? Nothing stopping us from going up to Atlanta and taking on life. They'll happily play any of us. So we can go take them on, right? Clemson's just a little bit further up the road. Tennessee's a little bit further up the road. LSU's in Baton Rouge, really close to Louisiana. That's always a really fun trip. There are plenty of opportunities for us in Florida to go get better games. But it's not – we shouldn't have to rely on a championship to, for that to happen. We can take it – we can take the ownership of ourselves and do it ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah, I – I, I, and it's a really valid point as I, as a coach, a lot of those ownership, ha we have to take that on. Um, and I think that adds to adding the value to the kids involved too.
That brings me to my second point, and that's focusing on the club experience. You know, one of the best parts about being in a club is the travel. You know, like I bet you money if you go on a trip to New Orleans and Baton Rouge and play LSU, those kids are never going to forget that, you know. And if you're going to do that, take a bus. Uh, it is not, not that much more expensive to take a bus than it is to take a car. All you're really doing is you're taking all the gas money from all the players and you're pulling it together and getting on a bus. You do have to be a certain size for it to be economical. But if you can, if we can start traveling regularly on buses, it's going to make the experience so much worth more worthwhile for the players. It also has an added benefit of reducing liability. You know, the last thing you want to be doing is having the players have to drive. It is not that fun actually, especially if you have to do it on, you know, drive down in the morning, play a game and drive back. It is God awful. We've all done it just because we've all done it. Doesn't mean we need to make the future do it. So if we can put kids on buses, that's going to make the experience so much better for them, right? It's going to add so much more value to being a part of the club that you can actually charge more in dues and make the bus that much more possible. You know, what are some other things that we can do to increase the club experience, you know, create those brotherhoods. I was just talked to Murray over at USF earlier this week, and he was telling me about how much fun it was for him and the team and how tight they were outside of rugby. You know, anytime you needed help, he could call someone and they'd be over there helping him move. They'd be out and about in Hawaiian shirts once a week. You know, they, they created traditions within the club that made it really fun. You know, I always think that um, have a club jersey night. All of us have rugby jerseys, but who the hell wears them in a social event as a one-off person, never. But, you know, if you guys go out as a team and you guys all rock the shirt, the jerseys, you know, that's a great time. Then you could actually, you know, show them off and stuff, you know, like creating, creating those brotherhood moments, you know, that's not, again, that's not really on the coach or the administrator. That's probably more on a social chair or the, the captain or something else, somebody else in the club do that stuff on unofficial communication channels. Um, but yeah, I mean, that stuff's important. And the other one that's really important that we probably all do a pretty poor job at is creating business networks. You know, like these kids are going to college for an education. And then, you know, what do we want these kids to do? Personally, I think we all want these kids to go get a good job. So they have expendable income. So they give it back to the clubs. So what's the best way that these guys have expendable income, make sure they get a good job. So like, let's build those business networks. So that way it's easier for these kids to find a job, right? There's statistics that show that when kids come out of college, the very first salary that they accept has a massive impact on their lifelong earning potential. So let's help these kids coming out of college, get good jobs as fast as possible. That way they're in their earning potential lifelong is a lot higher, meaning you have a better chance of getting some of that. Box. I'm gonna get off that. Um, now we're gonna go from the macro. We're gonna go now to the micro into the fall because that's the first thing we got coming down the pipe. So if I was coaching, what would I be doing to set up the fall for success? So personally, the best thing I think you can do is those first two weeks on campus is do not train, just focus on recruiting. Okay, so. The week before, you know, get kids, know when they're coming back to school, right? Get them back, you know, your returners, let's get them back the week before school and then 
get them out on campus the week before school, you know, get posters up, get on social media. If you need to pay for some social media uh, advertising, do that, do whatever you think is necessary to get in front of all the potential players eyeballs and get them to see the club. Okay. And you just hammer on recruiting. Um, the other thing you should probably do is like get away to get their information. One of the best things I did at Florida state or that was done at Florida state when I was there was that we put up a player form on our website, any interested player, they go on the website, they put in their information. Now we have their contact information. If you want to add additional stuff like playing experience, size, and weight, all that stuff is good because it helps you maybe manage or plan what you think you need to do, but get contact information and get communicating to them, right? I always had this template for a brand new player. I'd copy and paste, bang, thanks for showing interest. Our first training is now or is at this date, bang, 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 and communicate. And if they don't show up, email them again or text them, do whatever you need to. If it's not on the coach, then figure out a system that the players take ownership over it. But again, like get recruiting those first two weeks. And then once, and then like, so why do I say you should not train the first two weeks? Because one, you want to get as many, you want to get as many people in at the same time, because what you, the worst thing you want to do is get started build the, you know, trying to build a foundation of skills and then start going and progressing forward and then have new people come in. And now you got to either do you then try to put special attention on them and break them away and, and, and get them up to speed because now you're basically alienating new players or do you just throw them in with everybody else and maybe they don't come along as fast. So, you know, that's why I think it's so much more important that those first two weeks don't train, hit the recruiting your players are going to beg for training and that's fine, right? Because distance makes the heart grow fonder. So let them wait a little bit and then tell them, just focus on recruiting. And so then you get everyone out there at the same time, as many people as possible. And then that also helps selling the club to new players because they're going to see a shit ton of people out there and they're going to think, Oh man, this is really big. You know, it helps helps you sell the club to the new players when you have a whole bunch of people out there. So then you're able to start at the basics with everyone, create that foundation and then progress from there. You know, so an interesting thing that Gomez has done at Florida state is that he runs a combine. He at least calls it a combine, you know, basically it's where he, he, he markets it as a combine. He sits there and he does like physical testing. I think it's like push-ups and sprints and agility it basically puts people through like a perceived combine and says, okay, you guys all made the team now. Hey, this is when we're training. Uh, and I think it's great. You know, I always think it's great anytime that we can co-opt American sports, sports vocabulary into rugby. It makes things a lot easier. So I'm going to just give you a, a, just a quick example of that. So Evan, do me a favor. When you teach passing to new players, what do you say to them, like where they need to pass to, like in relation to the, the person that's going to be catching the ball? What do you, what do you say to them? Most of the time I tell them to the target, pass to the target or the target zone. Okay. To the target zone. Mm -hmm. So uh, do you have to then elaborate what the target zone means? Yeah. hundred percent. So, um, so know, what about, what about if we use strike zone? 
right? Like how many of your kids played baseball or how many people Americans understand what the strike zone means? It's a great, it's a great thought process. Yeah. I, I kind of like it. It's kind of like, I try to do that. Some of those things too, uh, you know, usually it's um, blind and open and blind side. Instead. Now I try to call it um, weak and strong side. So just trying to use a lot of the football kids that I have in my team and ask them a lot of analogies on those, like, what would this be like for football? So you can use some terminology to pass it down. And they usually just rattle them off for me, which is great. So it's, um, it's really nice to be able to describe it and they have someone to visualize that they know pretty well about it. So instead of the open side flanker, it's a strong side flanker and right. weak side flanker instead of blind side. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Do you call them safety instead of fullback? No, I haven't gone that far. But uh, mm-hmm. it's not, a, it's, it, it, I definitely use the terminology around safety though. I'm like, you're like the deep safety. You're the one who's controlling and communicating and, and running your back three and, and trying to get the line going. So I try to use as many different analogies that they'll have, or if they're a soccer player, I'll try to use like a sweeper, um, just different. I try to find out what sport they've played before and work out ways that I can integrate some of the language that they would feel comfortable with into what it is because rugby is so foreign for so many of them but it's it's really a it's um it's a nice little thing that i try to do it's not i'm not perfect at it but it's definitely something that i like to do nice yeah i mean um that's an interesting concept is rugby a foreign sport um the way i actually think about it is that rugby is not black and white and so you have to live in the gray more often. And what I think American sports does is that it puts things in black and white so much more because it's like kind of easier and I, I almost dumber, you know what I'm saying? But like kids are smart enough to live in the gray zone in the gray area. Like you can just say it's a contest. You don't have to elaborate too much. Like, I think we can talk in more abstract terms and kids will understand what that means. So, uh, if you guys don't believe me, uh, I'm actually going to look at UF's academic calendar, and I'm going to tell you what I think um, a UF preseason fall should look like. So classes begin Monday, August 23rd, um, and then the first FCC scheduled event is going to be the Sevens event uh, the last weekend of September, September 25th. So if you did two weeks of recruiting, uh, it'd be the week of Monday, August 23rd, the week of August 30th, maybe. And then um, Monday, August 6th or September 6th is Labor Day. So if you just did two full weeks of recruiting and you did start a training September 7th, that would give you six training sessions. If you just train Tuesday and Thursday, which I do recommend you only train twice a week in the fall. If you want to go three times a week, I recommend you do that in the spring only. But um, if you want to go twice, I would go twice a week in the fall. If you started September 7th, that'd give you six full training sessions before the sevens on September 25th. If you wanted more training sessions, you could potentially host your first training session September, Thursday, September 2nd. And then since Labor Day is Monday the 6th, like what about on Saturday, September 4th, you did like a three or four hour training session or maybe a two a days or something like that. Like uh, you did a Monday, a Saturday morning session and a Saturday afternoon session. That'd give you three more sessions. So now you have nine sessions before your first seven tournament on September 25th. And then, you know, there's five weeks in October and three weeks in November before Thanksgiving. That's eight possible weeks of preseason. The next thing I'd be looking at is the football schedule. 
So I don't recommend uh, you play rugby on home football games. I think those are experiences that is very unique to America and you should allow your players to experience as many of those home football games as possible because you don't, I think if you try to compete with your home football games, you can do it sometimes, but you can't do it all the time. So uh, October 2nd is an away game for UF. They're up at Kentucky. October 16th, the football team is away at LSU. It's a bye week the following week. Uh, October 30th is against Georgia. So that's the largest cocktail party. I think they still play in Jacksonville. I'm not quite sure. Uh, November 6th is a away game. They're up at South Carolina. The 13th, there's a home football game against Samford. And the 20th, they're away at Missouri. So um, I would probably shut down. If I'm going to do one, the last possible weekend I would do it would be November 20th. And then I'd shut down because then you're into Thanksgiving and then the holidays. So I wouldn't go anything past the 20th. Um, I probably... Maybe you could try to compete on the 13th and try to get a um, a match on that day against a super local opponent because I'm guessing a Samford game is going to be an 8 p.m. kickoff because I doubt it's going to be televised. So you could try to get a game in earlier in the day and then go and party or not. And if you want to take it off, you could. Um, we'll just say for the easiest sake, we'll take it off. So I would probably play on the 20th of November, the 6th of November. I wouldn't play on the Georgia game. If you do try to go and play up there, that might be kind of cool. Um, but just for ease, I'll say take that off. And then I'd probably pay on the 16th and the 23rd, maybe on the 2nd. So, uh, yeah, so we start Monday, August 3rd. We're going to take those first two weeks off. We'll start September 7th. We'll get six training sessions in. Before the sevens, I take all the players to go to the sevens event. I'll put in a first team, a second team, maybe a third team if I got enough numbers. If I wanted to get more sessions in, I start on September 2nd on Thursday, September 2nd, and do a two days on the Saturday. That gives me nine sessions. And then I'm going to go and probably try to get my first scrimmage on October 2nd. I'll take the ninth off. I'll go back-to-back -back weeks on the 16th and the 23rd. I take the 30th off, and I play the 6th. And then there's a decision point you can take. I mean, that's four weekends. Is that enough rugby to get people up to snuff for the ready to go in January? If we have a really good system and a really good coaching staff and this guy's, and we have really simple systems or we're really good at explaining things that might be enough. Right. And then you could just focus on the rest of November working out strength training, right? Strength, um, strength training is injury prevention. And if you, if you don't think that's enough, you can go two more weeks and then go to the 20th and then you just get a couple less weeks of working out, you know, because Thanksgiving week, uh, I think most people get off now. And then I think school ends on December 3rd. So that is the weekend after, after uh, Thanksgiving. So classes end, sorry, December 8th. So that's two weekends after Thanksgiving. So um I always think the best thing you can do is you do your fall season and then the November, December time, you want to get those guys into the gym as much as possible, get them big and strong so that when they come back in January, they are hyped and ready to go. Uh, that's how I would set up my fall. So what do we need to be doing in the immediate future? We need to be planning our fall. So the FCC sevens tournament is scheduled for September 25th. It is tentatively at USF pending their confirmation. 
So we're just doing the one sevens tournament. That's it. You have the rest of the time in October, November to develop your 15s preseason. If you have any questions, feel free to give me a shout. I highly recommend that you guys do a tour and get out and play someone new. In your inbox, you should also have the spring competitive season. So we have not forgotten. We are going to try to align as many youth games as possible and also potentially some men's games. So this way, again, if we can start building bridges from the youth into the college and also the college into the men's, that's going to help with the club experience, uh, which is added value for your players. Also going to help you guys build your clubs out some more. Got all your schedule information. So what we're going to do is we're going to schedule a call for early August. And what I want to do here is just share ideas for the upcoming season. Anything that you can do to help out your opponents is going to help you out in the long run. So we are going to be putting out another podcast here shortly. In that podcast, I'm going to be sharing my vision for the FCC of what I want to see be happening in the next five to eight years and where that takes us into the future. When I bust out my crystal ball and I look into the college landscape in the next five to 10 years, where I see ourselves is two potential outcomes. There is a really good chance, I would say probably about 40%, that we are playing fall rugby. We are aligning with the geographic unions around us so that way we can be playing in regional competitions there's also a really good chance probably about 60 percent that we are still playing spring rugby in that 60 percent of spring rugby there's two potential outcomes uh one that i really wish i want to see happen and the other i don't want to see happening so again guys we'll be releasing the next podcast here in a couple weeks that information I want us to be discussing at the AGM. The AGM is going to be uh, September 11th to 12th in Vero. Evan, you want to provide some more details here? Yeah, so we're looking to build out a summit and AGM kind of combined into one. Saturday will be a coaching and referee summit, um, followed by Sunday with a, uh, the AGM in the morning, and then we'll be ready to get out of there. We want to do kind of a happy hour and social evening on Saturday evening, trying to build the community back out again as we come out of COVID. So I really encourage everybody to put that on the calendar. We just should have some really good coach development going on. Um, and I think it'll be a really good weekend and it might be a really good opportunity for all of us to kind of get on the same page as well. Great. So I hope to see all you guys there. Uh, appreciate your time listening to the podcast and uh, love to hear some feedback and uh, check out the next one coming in a couple of weeks. Thanks guys.